Chapter twenty two of Lion Ben of Elm Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Lion Ben of Elm Island by Elijah Kellogg. Chapter twenty two Ben's Novel Ship. It was now early winter and the proper time to work in the woods. Do you think, said Ben to Uncle Isaac, I'd better hire Joe? He asks great wages, but he's the cheapest man you can hire for all that. I've seen a man fall spars so that they all had to be hauled out top foremost. It was like twitching a cat by the tail. Most men will break more or less masts falling them, and soon throw away all their wages but though joe seems to be such a great heedless creature there's nothing pertains to falling hauling or rafting timber that he don't know he can also shave shingles and rive staves and will be just as profitable in stormy weather as at any other time the next morning as ben and joe were grinding their axes to attack the forest they were very much surprised by a visit from uncle isaac i felt said he as though i must look upon elm island once more before the axe and firebrand went into it and while it was as god made it perhaps it's owing to my indian bringing up but i hate to see the forest fall and when i have to go fifty miles to shoot a deer or a bear the relish will be all taken out of life for me i feel very much as you do said ben i know i shall spoil its beauty but i see no other way to pay for it i'm not so sure of that there's no doubt but congress by and by will give a bounty to fishermen fishing is going to come up mr welch don't want his money any more than a cat wants two tails he told you to take your own time and i'd take my time I believe you can pay for this island by clearing only what you need for pasture and tillage. That will make quite a hole in your debt, and the rest you can pull out of the water. But I don't want to be a fisherman. I detest it. Work all summer and eat it all up in the winter. So much broken time, when it's so windy you can't fish and can't do anything else, for fear it will come good weather and you will have to leave it that's the right kind of talk i like to hear you talk so but you can fish till the land is yours can't you all the time you are fishing the timber will be growing and then you can farm it to your heart's content farming is going to be a first-rate business too people round here are all stark mad about lumbering and fishing they will touch anything but a hoe and think barley ain't worth thanking god for since the peace the country is full of foreign goods and they are ready to strip the land to get money to buy them nothing but french calico silks and satins and all such boughten stuffs will do for my ladyship now if people are going to work in the woods all winter and drive the river and work in the mills all summer i should like to know where the corn hay pork and beef to feed all these people that grow nothing is to come from i wonder if the people that stay at home and raise it won't get a round price for it 
i thought of that said ben i know that a great many fishermen come here for supplies must have them and no time to run after them and will give whatever the men ask that bring them alongside there's another thing this timber will be worth more every year it stands because it will be growing scarce oh uncle isaac this is a great country it won't be till you and i and our grandchildren if we have any are dead and gone that's true and it ain't true there's no end to the timber in the country but the timber that is directly on the shore where a vessel can go right to it is growing scarce more especially these big masts the king's commissioners scoured the sea-coast pretty well before the war and masts and spars on an island like this with a good harbor where they can be got to the ship's tackles with little expense will in a few years bear a great price for if timber is plenty labor is not thank god every one has enough to do and it costs i can tell you to bring timber down a river thirty miles to what it does to roll it off the bank as you can here i see you are right for i'm sure i don't know of another island that is timbered like this others have all been cut and burnt over by the fishermen setting fires in the summer about half the timber on the islands is burnt up by mere carelessness you wouldn't like to lose this brook would you lose the brook i'd as soon lose the island it would not be worth much without the brook well just as sure as you clear the middle ridge and the northeast end of the island where the springs are that feed it and let the sun and wind in on the land you'll dry the brook do you think so i don't think so i know so there's a brook runs through my field long since i can remember it used to carry a sawmill but my father and i cleared the land and the people at the source of it cleared theirs and now it's dry all summer and but a little water in it early in the spring and late in the fall i'm glad you told me this you know i'm a sailor and don't know much about such matters i hope you'll never be mealy-mouthed but speak just as you think i'm an ignorant man and have never been to school and over the world as you have but i know about these sort of things because i've either tried em or seen other people try them it's just my experience when he had thus spoken he prepared to depart do stay to dinner uncle isaac said sally it's impossible i ought to be at home this very minute but i couldn't help coming over here and freeing my mind and dropping his oars into the water he was in a moment round the eastern point this conversation made a deep impression upon ben he looked upon the island not merely as offering advantages for a living but he loved it all his ideas of beauty and sublimity were engrafted upon these woods and shores from boyhood he had been accustomed to go there with his father often in the lonely hours of the middle watch on the ocean had memory painted the green foliage of the birches drooping over the high ledge in many a black night of tempest as he stood amid the pouring rain and flashing lightning did his thoughts revert to that tranquil cove reflecting from its bosom the overhanging rocks and trees while the sunlight of a summer's morning was glancing on the glossy breasts of the sea-ducks sporting in its calm waters 
standing upon the beach where he had parted with his friend he looked over the scene and pictured to himself the middle ridge shorn of its green coronal of majestic forest covered with blackened stumps and the charred ruins of mighty trees the interlacing network of tree roots ferns and mosses of a thousand hues that now adorned the rocks burnt off leaving them white and barren and the bare bones of the soil sticking out no shelter for fruit trees or crops man or beast and the supply of water greatly diminished the sweet music of the brook hushed and the multitudes of hawks and herons who notwithstanding their harsh notes could ill be spared banished for ever and the island left a shelterless rock in the ocean for the cold sea winds to whistle over he found that sally shared his feelings in the fullest extent and together they resolved to submit to any privations and make every possible effort in order to save at least a good part of the forest the axes now went merrily from daylight till dark they made a workshop of the front part of the house and in stormy days made staves and shingles as there were many trees which after they were cut proved to have a hollow in the butt or were conchus and though not suitable for spars made good shingles sometimes an oak was in the way of a road which cut made staves ben while privateering had taken from a prize some fine rifles two of these he sold and bought a large yoke of oxen and hiring four more he began to haul his spars to the beach as the distance was short and the ground in general descending he did not wait for snow but hauled the smallest spars on the bare ground leaving the large masts and bowsprits till the snow came this was not so difficult as it might appear for it is very different hauling in the woods from doing the same thing on a road the ground was in most places covered with a network of roots strewn with leaves and frozen and the sled slipped over these quite easily besides wherever there was a hard spot or a hollow they cut small trees peeled the bark off and put them along the road for the sled to slip over and thus though they could not move the largest sticks in this way they got along as fast with the others as though there was snow for if they hauled smaller loads having no snow to wade through and no road to break they went the oftener even when the snow came his team was light to haul some of the biggest masts but they made calculations take the place of strength put rollers under the sticks and helped the cattle with a tackle thus they spent the winter as the spring came on how he longed to plough up the clear spot along the beach to plant a few peas and potatoes or set out a currant bush or two in the warm sunny ground under the high ledge that every time he passed it seemed to say do plant me ben how much more difficult it was to let the wild geese alone that were flying in vast flocks over his head it made him half crazy to hear the guns of uncle isaac john and his father who were letting into them right and left as they went bang bang it was not like the gunning nowadays when a great lazy fellow goes all day to shoot a sandpiper or a sparrow but there was profit as well as sport in it 
nevertheless he manfully resisted temptation and plied the axe i'll not live another spring without a gunning float said he to joe and dismissed the matter from his thoughts what fools we are said joe we've not had a drink of sap yet as he spoke he struck his axe with an upward blow into the body of a rock maple and stuck a chip in the gash he then cut down a small hemlock took off a length and from it made a trough the sap ran down the chip into the trough and in a few hours they had enough to drink how good that looks said joe as he got down on his hands and knees and looked into the luscious liquid as clear as crystal and it don't taste bad neither the first thing joe did the next morning was to visit the trough expecting to find it full but it was entirely empty it was half full when i left it and it must have run fast what a fool i was i didn't drink it all up i know who's got it cried he as he noticed on a little patch of snow some tracks that looked not unlike those made by the bare feet of little children for they had been enlarged by the thawing of the snow they are that coon's wife and children that we killed when we were hewing timber they will be nice neighbors ben when you come to plant corn here i don't care if they do eat a little corn i want all the neighbors i can get it will be first-rate to know just where to go and get a coon when you want one i shall be as well to do as the grand folks in england and have my own game preserved besides if they get troublesome i can kill them all with sailor in a week on a place no larger than this there was no vessel in that vicinity larger than a fisherman's or a wood coaster it required a vessel of larger size to carry such spars and to have hired one from a distance would have eaten up a great part of their value determined at any risk to save a great part of the forest he devised and executed a most audacious plan that he might realize every dollar from the sale of his spars by avoiding the great expense of transportation with a cool daring and skill perfectly characteristic he rolled his masts and spars on to the beach where by the help of the tide he could handle them as he pleased and built them somewhat into the shape of a vessel securing the whole firmly together with cross ties and tree nails he then made a large oar to steer with which no one but himself could lift that worked in a port so that it could not slip out and float up he then put a large timber across the stern with deep notches cut in it to hold the oar in whatever direction he placed it in order that he might be able to leave it and go to other parts of the raft to attend to other matters a mast had been already built in when the raft was made he bought an old mainsail that belonged to john strout made for the perseverance and put a cable anchor and boat compass on board i must have a chance to make a cup of tea said ben for i shall be up nights as there's only one in a watch they placed a large flat stone in the midst of the raft to build the fire on and then made a fireplace with stones laid in clay to prevent the wind from blowing the fire away from the kettle two crotches were then placed each side of the fireplace and a pole put across to hang the tea kettle on wood and water were now put on board some dry eel-grass to lie down on 
staves shingles and feathers the results of gunning at odd times and the preparations for the voyage were complete ben said his wife joe says you are going to boston on that thing alone i'm going to set out sally i can tell you better when i come back whether i get there or not suppose you should get blown off to sea and never be heard from again suppose what is more likely i shouldn't suppose the raft should come to pieces suppose it should stay together we never shall save the woods and the beach and all the pretty things if it costs half the spars are worth to get them to market better lose the island than your life what if there should come a big sea and wash you overboard what if when the angels were taking elijah to heaven they had let him drop perceiving he had fully made up his mind she said no more but quietly set about preparing his food for the voyage this was put under the canoe which was turned bottom up on the raft and lashed there were but four pieces of rope on the whole raft for rope was high in those days these were the cable the canoe's painter and the sheet and halyards of the sail the logs were lashed with withes as also the canoe water and other things these withes were of enormous strength though stiff and hard to handle for many of them were as thick as a man's wrist which ben twisted as though they had been willow switches ben had not mentioned his plan to any one out of his own house but when the wind came in strong from the northeast set sail just as the sun came up the first proceeding of john rhines at this time of year when he got out of bed was to look out of his window to see if there were any wild geese round that were anxious to be shot that he might give the alarm to his father no sooner did he espy the novel craft come out from the harbour and proceed to sea than going downstairs three steps at a time he shouted father father see what this is it is a raft that has come down from the head of the bay and is going over to indian creek mill but it came from elm island i saw it you thought it did but it came down by it and appeared to you to come from it no father it came right out of the harbour for i saw it with my own eyes get the glass john that will tell the story resting the glass on the fence he looked long and carefully at length he said john that's your brother ben on that raft he's got half an acre of spars i verily believe all they have cut this winter well he's one of the kind to make a spoon or spoil a horn always was but where's he going to boston i expect he's steering that way and is making first-rate headway too forgetting all about his breakfast john ran to uncle isaac's while captain rhines went in to tell the news to his wife ben's going to boston on a raft he shouted oh come quick or he'll be out of sight they watched him from the hill and then from the garret window till he disappeared from view if the wind should come in fresh at northwest said uncle isaac no power on earth could prevent his going to sea and that would be the end of him but noticing the look of anxiety upon john's face he said come in and take breakfast with us and then we'll see what your father thinks about it 
don't you think ben's running a great risk asked uncle isaac of captain rhines now captain rhines had never done much else except to run risks and therefore was not particularly sensitive on that score it's a risk that's certain but then it's a risk that's well worth the running to get such a tremendous raft of spars as that to market as you may say for nothing the wind often holds easterly this time of year a fortnight it's our trade wind he is going every bit of four knots i'll risk ben he's one of the kind that always come on their feet there's not another man in the world that looks as bad as he does that would have got sally hadlock nobody else could have got elm island from father welch i've been trying to buy it of him these twenty years but he said it was his father's before him and he wouldn't sell it for he didn't want to see it stripped and he knew i would cut the timber off the first thing no i'll risk ben did i ever tell you what a yankee trick he served a british man-of-war when he was captain of a privateer no what was it i didn't know he ever was captain well he never was only in this way their captain was killed in action with an armed merchantman ben being lieutenant took charge and acted as captain the rest of the cruise you see they were cruising off the coast to try and cut off some of the english supply vessels that were bringing provisions and ammunition to their armies for our folks were mighty short of powder and everything else for the matter of that they were lying by in a thick fog not a breath of wind couldn't see your hand before you and when the fog lifted at sunrise they were right under the guns of a fifty-gun ship that was off there looking out for the expected transports no squeak for them what does ben do but strip off his clothes get into his berth and make the doctor bind his right leg and arm all up with splinters and bandages as though they were broken then bleed him and put the blood over the wound as though it had been done by a shot john strout was second mate so he became first mate or first lieutenant when ben took charge you know he and ben are like knife and fork always together the man-of-war put a prize captain and crew on board and put ben's crew in irons and ordered her into new york they took him out of his berth and put him between decks with his men which was just what he wanted though he groaned and took on terribly when they were moving him it hurt him so and the doctor said twas real barbarity to move a patient in his condition the english in time of war were always short of seamen more so now than ever as they were fighting with us and france both they had but few men to spare for a prize crew they took out part of ben's crew and put the rest in irons made a captain of an old quartermaster with two midshipmen for lieutenants gave them about a dozen seamen and three or four petty officers thinking as twas so short a run into port there was no great risk of their meeting any yankee cruiser ben knew very well there was no time to lose and laid his plans with the doctor for retaking the vessel that very night they apprehended but little trouble from the seamen who were most of them pressed men but there were three marines to be got rid of one on the forecastle and one at each gangway and armed to the teeth 
the doctor secured the key of the arm-chest as soon after twelve o'clock as the watch who came below were well asleep ben took off the splints and bandages and crawling out of his hammock wrenched the handcuffs from the wrists of eight of his men who did he let loose said uncle isaac anybody i know yes john strout and black caesar who was the strongest man in the vessel except ben i knew him he was a slave to seth valentine and he gave him his liberty when the war broke out and calvin merrithew who was almost as stout and ed griffin brother to joe who was killed afterwards with jack manley in the lee privateer the rest of em didn't belong round here i heard something about it at the time but never heard the particulars but were not these sailors armed no they don't allow sailors arms when about their duty the marines do all the guard duty the sailors are only armed in time of action the doctor had a dog who got the end of his tail jammed off a day or two before under the truck of a gun carriage the men for deviltry would touch it to make him sing out he got so at last that if anybody pointed at it he would howl they resolved to make the howl of the dog which was too common to attract attention a signal for action they dressed themselves in the hats and coats of the watch who had turned in that they might be taken in the dark for men-of-war's men caesar went up the main hatch past the sentry on the forecastle and went into the head as twas nothing uncommon for men to come up in the night the marine took no notice of em merrithew ed griffin and another lay at the steps of the main hatch watching the marine there ben john strout and the others at the after hatch the doctor who went and came without question pinched the dog's tail who instantly began to howl caesar felled the marine with a blow of his fist and flung him overboard merrithew rushing upon the marine at the hatchway whose attention was occupied with the noise on the forecastle flung him head foremost into the hold while the others put on the hatches and barred them down in the meantime ben rushing upon the sentry in the gangway flung him against the lieutenant who was pacing the deck with such force as to fell him senseless on the planks while the doctor locked the cabin doors and the rest barred down the after hatches then seizing the boarding pikes that were lashed to the main boom joined their comrades the seamen made little or no resistance a terrible noise and swearing were now heard aft the prize captain having got up on the cabin table with his head out of the skylight was screaming to know why the doors were fastened and what was the matter come out here and see my little man said ben reaching down and taking him by both ears he pulled him through the skylight and set him astride a gun who are you exclaimed the astonished commander this said the doctor is the man with the broken leg he's got well i never had a patient mend so rapidly i don't think that was very civil treatment for a prisoner of war said uncle isaac it was tit for tat said captain rhines in the first of the war the british frigates used to run our privateers down and destroy all hands and starve and maltreat our prisoners in their hulks but they got more civil in the last of it i tell you ben would stick a mast into elm island and sail it to boston if he undertook it
End of chapter 22